Welcome to Lighthouse Church's Sermon Podcast. We pray you are blessed and encouraged with today's message. Are you guys ready to go? Can I just start by saying, what an absolutely crazy week. (laughs) My wife and I say this all the time. We're like, we go to bed and we hope it's a dream, but it isn't right? And you wake up to something even greater or crazier. Or, and I'm like, I'm like I, I don't want to say anymore, like, what's next? I'm not saying that because I don't want something to be next, right? But I've said this to you many times, and I mean, I, I've got, I'm just full of so much I want to share, but I want to be careful. I have a lot of notes, so I'm going to try to keep myself on track. But more than ever, we need to make sure uh, that we're listening to the voice of the Lord. Amen. We need to know that we are where God wants us to be, and I'm going to get into that in a moment, but we can't get caught up in all the craziness, right? Because it'd be very easy to be a part of the world. We're in the world, but not a part of the world. That's what the Bible says, and we got to make sure we're not uh, being led by all the, the media and social media and so forth. Um, I want to continue to press into the teachings I've been giving the last few weeks because I feel like they're very, very important. Give my wife a hand. That's awesome. I just want to, I feel compelled to prepare us more and more and more because how many people know that we're, I mean, to say we're living in uncertain times, it would be an understatement. We're living in some uncertain times, right? And if you're not careful, how many people got on social media? Let me just, let me just start by saying this. How many people got on social media this week at some day this week and felt your blood pressure rise? How many people just stayed off of social media? God bless you. Good job. I think, I think I might say we're going to go on a social media ban. Like, you know, a fast for like a month. You guys would probably come out the other side just so happy and so full of joy, right? But I said in the last couple of weeks, and I'm going to continue to say it because I think it's that important, is I believe that our anthem for this year is the safest place to be is in the center of God's will for your life. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will for your life. As I said the last couple of weeks, use discernment. Here it is, very simple, what that means. Use discernment, find out where God desires you to be, and go there. Discern the location and go. Discern the location and go. Now, some of you are like, are you talking about moving? I'm not talking about moving. I'm talking spiritually where you're supposed to be, what you're supposed to be doing within your region. If God's telling you to move, he'll make that clear. But I'm speaking right now. You're planted here. Find out what you're supposed to be doing. Discern it. Go. Be obedient. Amen? I think as American Christians, we are taught that the center of God's will, at least this has been the teaching the last 20 or 30 years, is what? A life of comfort. We think that if we're following the Lord, everything's going to go right with us. How many people know that's absolutely not true? The Bible says, Jesus said, in this life you will have what? Tribulation. That means you're going to face trials. You're going to face things that are hard to get through. Somebody say amen if you know what I'm talking about, right? Listen, it does, listen, not, you know, we're not going to have continual peace. We're not going to have always have enjoyment or relaxation. We're not always going to be filled with joy. We're not going to always feel like we're completely protected. I believe this state statement, now catch this, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will, has more to do with, listen, more to do with our usefulness by God and him protecting us from being deceived. I'm going to say that again. It's less to do with our comfort. It has more to do with us doing what he wants us to do in that place and protecting us because we're being obedient. Okay? So if you think, oh, the safest place to be is in the center of God's will, which is my recliner, that's probably not the truth. 
It's probably doing something out there that he wants you to do. Okay, it's important. You get this. I, I need to speak something right off the bat because some of you are discouraged about what God has spoken over your life and what you're supposed to be doing in the Lord. And you're thinking, it can't happen. I want to tell you, nothing is impossible for God through you. There's nothing impossible. No, can I tell you, God knew this was all going to take place. He knew everything. And he has the remedy. He knows. He still, his plans haven't changed. I think sometimes people think all of a sudden crazy things happen and God has to go up there and rewrite his board. No, his board is set. His board, can I say this? His board is set even for your life. But, and I'll get into that this morning. I believe it has more to do with protecting you from being deceived. How many people know we need protection right now from being deceived because there's so many voices being spoken from so many different angles, right? And also our usefulness to God. It determines your ability, determines your ability to discern correctly and be used by God even to do great exploits, it says. Right? I believe being in the center of God's will has a lot to do with our willingness, number one, and our obedience to be there. Now, those are two words we don't talk a whole lot about, but it's important. Our willingness, you know what your willingness is? It's called surrender. It's your willingness to say, God, whatever you want to do, wherever you want to send me, whatever you want me to do for you, I'm willing to do. That's hard. How many people know surrender is hard? Especially when on one side of you, you want all your rights... Your right to carry and all these things. And all of a sudden you come into the kingdom of God and he says, I want to get you to give up all your rights. That's hard for us. Come on, somebody, right? That's hard for us because we like our rights. But I want to tell you, it's in a life of surrender that we are protected and used mightily. Now, I want to use this example of Jesus, and I'm going to reference him several times, but I want you to catch this. Don't turn there. Listen to the scripture. Jesus, how many people know, was right in the center of what God had for him, right? He lived a life fully to the plans of God. Now catch this. He was totally surrendered, right? And he was used, obviously, mightily. There were several times in his life where his life was almost taken. Is that true? But it wasn't. Now this is what you got to catch. This coming year, I'm going to say this, and I don't mean to scare anybody, but I, I need to say this to you and make it as clear as I possibly can. There is going to be times that you might get into dangerous situations, but God will protect you. See, we can't come into this year saying, oh, it's going to be glorious on every single level and life's going to be great and we're never going to face any kind of persecution, any kind of hardships, because that's a lie. We are going to, but he wants us to overcome and be more than conquerors. I'll think somewhere off the top of my mind. How many times, you remember the, him being in the boat, the waves come along about ready to sink the entire boat, right? And what happens? He calms the storm. His life was in danger. His disciples were in danger. For fishermen in that time and age to be scared of a storm, that, might, that must have been a crazy storm. Another time, remember Paul's life, where he's on that ship and the storm's coming up, and they're all thinking they're going to die, and they're throwing stuff overboard, and they're like, we're going to die. And he says, listen, an angel appeared to me last night and said, yes, we're going to lose everything, but not one of your hairs will be harmed. That is literally the Lord protecting us. Did he still have a shipwreck? Yes. Did he still go through some torment? Yes. But guess what? He overcame. Other times in scriptures, it says in John 10, 39, they tried to seize him, but he escaped their grasp. How many times have you read in scripture where he's in a crowd and they're pressing against him to grab a hold of him and they can't grab him? It's like for some reason, he's like covered with some kind of Teflon. Right? 
And it's like they can't grab a hold of him. It happened over another example is Luke 4, it says in verse 28, on hearing this, all the people in the synagogue, his teaching, were enraged. You know what that means? It's kind of like what's going on right now. They were mad. They got up, drove him out of town. They drove him. Catch this. This crowd was huge. Drove him out of town and led him to the brow of a hill in which the town was built upon in order to throw him off. So they, they they accomplished in pushing him to the edge. But then guess what happened? Verse 30 says, but Jesus passed right through the crowd and went on his way. That's not possible. That's not possible. But somehow, some way, God parted that crowd and said, no, 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 it's not time. He was protected. The safest place to be is in the center of God's will. It doesn't say the safest place to be is in the center of God's will and everything's going to be sunshine. It's not life. It's not real. My job is to prepare you. So it's that discerning, catch this, that discerning of what God has for you, has for us, and our obedience as a body of believers. Come on, I, I can't, I wish I had the words to tell you how much this is in my soul right now. Our obedience to it that I believe should be our focus this year. This is our call this year. This is our challenge, and in this is our place of protection and blessing. I believe we're going to be blessed tremendously this year. I believe we're going to do greater exploits than we've ever done. I believe you guys are going to accomplish more than ever has been accomplished before in your lives. I believe you're going to see incredible things take place, but that's going to be through your surrender, your willingness, and your obedience to follow after what he has for you and be in the center of it. Are you still going to come back in time and go, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe what happened to me? Yes, that's going to happen. You wouldn't believe what I faced this week? Absolutely. But then the praise report's going to be, but in the midst of hell, something sprung up. And it was delightful, and it was good. Now, if I could get you to turn in your scripture, because we do want to stay in the scripture. 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings 19. Now, I'm going to start... I'm only going to read like three verses to give you the, because I don't have time to go through the whole thing, but it'll give you enough to know what I'm going to speak on. Verse 15 says, the Lord said to him, and this is talking about Elijah with the J. He was the prophet of the day. He says, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazel king over Aram. So he's telling them to anoint all these people. They're the next generation. Come on. Everybody knows there's the next generation, right? Listen, some of you are a little worried about your kids. Don't be worried. Get them anointed. Get them anointed because they're going to take over and they're going to be even greater than us. Because what happened once Elisha with an S and H gets anointed, what happens? He had a double anointing. He did greater things. Our kids are supposed to do greater things than we do. Just get them anointed. Get them to the house. Get a high prayer over them. Pray over them yourself. Anoint the king over Aram, also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel and Mahola to succeed you as prophet. So he goes, anoint these three, or these three other people, and then he says, anoint Elijah, who's going to succeed you as prophet. Now skip to verse 19. So Elisha went, Elijah went there and found Elisha, what was he doing? He was plowing with 12 yokes of, yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. I love this short amount of scripture because it reveals so much. I'm going to break it down to you this morning. Ready? This is vitally important. Some of you need to catch this. Ready? First thing, Elisha, with an S-H, was found where God said he would be. See, you got to get this. This is important because we all have people that we know that are not where they're supposed to be. 
See, God told Elijah, go here and you will find him there. And he was found there. Now, listen to what I'm saying. I'm not talking physically, but I'm talking spiritually. They vanished. Come on. They've fallen off the face of the earth. They've lost contact. They've disengaged. They might even used to come to this church, and you haven't seen them in months or maybe years, and you're like, where are they? They need to be found. They've lost contact. They've disappeared. They've disconnected. They've disengaged. They live nearby us. We can tell you where they live, but we have no fellowship with them. Now, I want to tell you something. It's a scary thing if God goes looking for you or sends somebody looking for you and you can't be found. We want to be found, church. It's important. The place where he was supposed to be, the center of God's will, they turned away from, they've gotten distracted, they believe the lie, they get depressed, they get discouraged to the point where they give up and they're missing out on the protection and blessing of God because they've stepped outside of what God has. Now, I'm not saying this to discourage you. I'm saying this to protect you. And then, those that we know that are not found right now, let's get them found. Holy Spirit, go find them. Be where God expects you to be found. Be where God expects you to be found. Secondly, Elisha wasn't doing anything spiritual, right? What was he doing? He was plowing. But guess what he was doing? He was doing exactly what God what he was supposed to be doing at that time. Catch this. He wasn't yet prophesying. He wasn't yet doing miracles. He hadn't yet started you know, to make oil overflow for the widow. He hadn't yet raised the young man for the dead. He hadn't yet caused the axe head to float. What was he doing? He was just plowing. This is so supernaturally spiritual. Listen to this. Some of you may find yourself complaining about all the plowing you're doing right now, but you don't realize plowing always precedes planting, which always precedes harvest. Prepare your field... So when God comes or God sends somebody, it's ready for planting. Somebody needs to catch this because so many times we get tired of the plowing. How many people know life sometimes is just like plowing? I've used it sometimes even in the act of, you know, leading worship. You come into a service and sometimes people are on fire and they're ready to go and you just got to hit the cord and they're like, yeah, let's go. And then there's other times you lead worship and everybody's like, just make me. I dare you, Pastor Sean. I ain't worshiping today. See if I lift my hand. You ain't going to get me to lift my hands. Y'all, come on. You know your hearts. We've all been there. You walk in here grumpy. And God, you know, Pastor Sean gets up there and says, Come on, somebody give God praise. No. <laughs> Not today. You know, I call that, you know what I call that? I call that plowing. As a worship leader, leading sometimes is plowing. Other times when I'm preaching, people are really receptive, and I can tell they're in the zone. Then other times I'm looking around, and I'm like, I swear I must be speaking Spanish. Yeah, see, si. si, senor. And so, like, in those moments, what it feels like you're doing is plowing. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You go to your work and your job, and it seems like it's plowing. But then there's other days you're just like, wow, this is easy. Some of us, if not, can I say this? All of us right now are in a season of plowing, and we're preparing the ground for the seed that's about ready to be sown with those things and those people and those encounters that we have with God. What can I tell you right now? Don't take your hand from the plow. Catch that. Don't take your hand from the plow. I don't care how many times you've told yourself you're going to. I don't care how many times you took your hands off and go, I'm done. They put them back on. I've seen people that literally God has had a great call upon their life. And when I say call, God wanted to do some great things through their lives. But they took their hands off the plow. And when God came to sow the seed, guess what happened? It's the, it's the parable of the seed. It was you know just hard ground and it didn't grow. Prepare the ground. Don't take your hands off the plow. 
Keep plowing until the next door opens. I'm going to say this to someone else because they need to hear this. Don't give in to the desire to give in. Don't give in to the desire. Come on. This is good. Don't give in to the desire to give in. Why? Because that other field you're thinking about purchasing needs plowed too. Some of you are like, well, I'm just going to go over here and it's going to be so much easier. No, it needs plowed. Still needs plowed. Some of you could turn around behind and look back at your life and you could see 14 different plows partially plowed. Fields plowed, partially plowed. And you're like, come on, finish the one you're in and watch God bring protection, abundance, and blessing. And by the way, lastly, the most important thing, because how many people know Christianity isn't all about us? If you're faithful in plowing, God always brings excess. When he fed all the 5,000, what happened? They picked up 12 bushels of extra. That's important to know. Why? Because God's a God of excess. He's not a God of just enough. Exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all that we can ask or think. According to the power that is in us. That's our God. And so what he does is he's like, you know what? I want to bless you guys. You want to know why I'm going to bless you guys? I'm going to tell you why I'm going to bless you guys. Because your blessing is going to overflow to other people. I, you know, we have as American Christians, it's always about me, right? I'm terrible today. I feel terrible today. I'm the one, me, 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 I, 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 our best friends. But God says, the blessing that comes out of you guys is supposed to bless maybe even hundreds of people. So as we are resistant to this surrender, what happens is those hundreds of people are not receiving the blessing. That's pretty heavy, isn't it? But that's the way the kingdom works. It's multiplication. It's sowing the seed. Third, most of the time you are completely unaware of exactly what God wants you to do next in your life. I'll say this to you, and I've said it before. Most of you know this because I've repeated it so many times. Most of you will sense a change is coming because what happens is there's a grace, I call a grace lifts off of your life to do what you're doing. And what used to be somewhat enjoyable becomes work, W-O-R-K, completely. You dread going in. You dread everything about it. You go to bed thinking about it. You wake up going, oh, my gosh, shoot me. Come on, you know what I'm talking about. The grace has lifted. That's how I knew I was about ready to get into the ministry is because I was working my job. I loved what I did. I really did. I loved doing projects. I loved interaction. I loved the meetings. I loved all that stuff. But all of a sudden, work became work. Now, what happens many times is we confuse that with we get disgruntled or we get frustrated and we think that's God telling us change is coming. No, I'm talking the supernatural power of God upon you to accomplish what you're doing lifts. And all of a sudden, what used to be a lot easier is a lot more difficult. That's usually when you know a change is coming, right? But most of the time when we sense a change is coming, I would love to tell you that God details every single part of it. He never does, right? Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. You know what that says? You're only going to see a few feet out in front of you. You see the path, but you got to walk it. And then progressively, you begin to see it open up more and more in what he has for you, okay? Now, because we are unaware of exactly what God wants us to do, or, or most of the time we're just afraid to make a change, because of that, you tend to get weary and give up before the blessing comes, before the next thing is revealed. And then this is what we do, and I know who you guys are. Come on, somebody. Because at that point, we then try to do it in our own strength. We are the most impatient people that have ever lived as Christians, I think, in America. Patience is a virtue. Yeah, that, that's a nice saying. But how many people really have that fruit of patience? No. I've seen you drive. <laughs> it's always funny when, when you see Christians outside of church 
and you see them doing things that are naughty. You got to see them like, you know, like they're in a red light and they're like, I've literally, this has happened to me. I've been somewhere and I maybe didn't, you know, like this is the red light turns to green. And if you don't instantly move, the car behind you is beeping. No one does that here. It's the church up there, right? Right. I've had people in the church do that to me. And then they see me and I'm like, oh, they're just waving. Yeah, right. I know exactly what you're doing, you little. We get frustrated. We try it. It's like, Jesus, take the wheel. I want it back. Take it, want it. Take it, want it. Take it, want it. Take the wheel, Jesus. I want it back. Listen, don't get out of the boat unless Jesus says to get out of the boat. Don't walk on water unless Jesus calls you to walk on water. Don't tackle spiritual situations unless God leads you into that battle. You may sense changes coming, which is common, but rarely do we know exactly what it looks like. Be content, be content, be content where you are until your life is interrupted with a God opportunity. Somebody say amen. Now, I want to close this message by helping you out a little bit. Because I know one of the things that I hear a lot as pastor is this. Well, how do I know what the Lord is saying? Or how do I sense what he's saying? Or I, I mean, I hear this a lot. I don't hear the voice of the Lord. I want to tell you this right now. Everybody in this place hears the voice of the Lord. But there's usually two reasons that we think we don't. Number one is we're so crowded with other voices that we can't differentiate his whisper. Because that's usually, he doesn't shout, he usually just whispers. But we've got like the radio stations all mixed up and they're all hitting us. So we don't catch his voice. Or secondly, he's speaking to us and we have no clue. And we usually say, oh man, this thought came in my head. All of us hear the voice of the Lord. It just needs to be refined. So if you would turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 2. I'm going to start there and then I'm going to end real quickly here. Be found where Jesus expects you. I'm going to use Jesus' life here real briefly to show you what it's like to hear from the voice of the Lord and how that works. So if you're struggling this morning saying, listen, I just struggle hearing the voice of the Lord, this is going to help you. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. This is when he was just a baby. It says, after the wise men left, an angel from the Lord came to who? Came to Joseph, right? In a dream. The angel said, get up, take the child with his mother, and escape to Egypt. Herod wants to kill the child and will start looking for him. Stay in Egypt until I, what? Tell you to come back. So what did Joseph do? He got ready and left for Egypt with the child and the mother. They left during the night. Joseph stayed in Egypt until Herod died. Now this is the first recorded instance that we know of where Jesus needed protection, right? And the angel of the Lord came and what did he do? He came and appeared to Jesus as a two-year-old and said, go to Egypt. No, he didn't. He appeared to his mother, or to his father. He appeared to his parent. Now, this is important. Immature Christian walk, or people that are immature in their walk, or just became Christians, or people that haven't really learned to hear the voice of the Lord. Sometimes, because we haven't discerned his voice, God will speak to other people that are like spiritual parents to us about your life. And you have to know that they're hearing from the Lord. This is important. you got to catch this. When you don't have the ability to hear the voice of the Lord, God's not going to necessarily speak to you directly, but he will speak to people around you, especially those that care and love you. I love this. To protect Jesus, he entrusted the word to another person to protect him. And that person responded by moving the baby. Now, that's at two years old. Obviously, he was not going to hear as an infant. So you need people around you when you aren't mature. Got it? If you're struggling, you're sitting here this morning saying, man, I'd like to know what the Lord has for me, and I just struggle to hear his voice. You know what my response to that is? Find people that do and surround yourself with them. Find people that do and surround yourself with them. 
Worst thing you can do is separate yourself because you get frustrated because you're not hearing from the Lord. The warning was given to those who were entrusted with his life. When something's in its infancy, a calling, your walk, your understanding, your, even your ability to hear the voice of God, you have to have people surrounding you that can hear the voice of God for you until you're mature enough to hear it for yourself. Surround yourself. Now turn to Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start with verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year. This is talking about Joseph and Mary and Jesus. At the feast of Passover, when he, Jesus, was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, they all were returning. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, say the group, they went a day's journey, but when they began to search for him among the relatives and acquaintances, say relatives and acquaintances, and when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem, Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among teachers, listening to them and asking questions. Now catch this. In 10 years, from 2 years old to 12 years old, Jesus' circle of influencers had dramatically increased. Now catch it. you got to catch this. Ready? It became his group. We don't know the exact number, but obviously it was quite a big number. Why? Because his parents left them behind. Come on. I hear some of you at the end of church saying, where are my kids? I won't say who you are, but you know who you are. I've heard you say, we're ready to go. Now, where's my kids at? Now, there's something said about that, right? When you're when they're younger, when you're a baby, you're, you don't leave the baby in the pew and go wandering around talking. You keep the baby with you because the baby needs you. But as they get older, you give them a little more freedom to make decisions for themselves. And so what happened is this whole group of people were going for the Passover to this festival, to this feast, and they're going, and, and they the parents had seen him grow in maturity up to that point, so they let him hang out with his group his people. Now catch this. It's important to find who your group is. I've said this before, but you need to hear it. Too many times we surround ourselves with people just like us. The worst decision you can make. Because you know what happens? You go nowhere. You don't mature. You stay the same. If, if, if nothing, you regress. Studies have been done all across the nation. You are usually the five or six people you hang out with, hang out with the most. That's who you become. So if Think about it. If you're around just people at work all the time, and that, that's who you're going to become. I tell you, find somebody where, who's, who's where you want to be spiritually and hang out with them in a while. Why? Because they're going to annoy the crap out of you. Because they won't let you stay status quo. You ever hang out with somebody? like You get around sharing a little bit, and what happens? Right away, you're like, oh, I need to repent and start serving the Lord. You understand what I'm saying? You feel good after the exchange with her. You ever hang out with someone else and you get out of the room and you're like, I'm so miserable, I want to go shoot a cow. You, you know what I'm talking about. Come on. You know what I'm talking about. Somebody's negative. You know, if that's who you're hanging out with, you're going to become negative. And so Jesus found his group. He found those people and his parents approved of it because he led them. And so his, his, his circle of influence has increased. It's important that you find your group and then it's people that encourage you. You know what I like in that group too today? The church disconnect from the church, and I'm telling you spiritually, you're going to struggle. It might not be the first month. It might even take into the second month, but I'm telling you, eventually you're going to struggle spiritually. You'll find yourself slipping. You'll find yourself saying things you don't want to say. You'll find yourself getting angry more. The fruits of the flesh is what I call it, begin to come out. 
You make decisions you wouldn't have made before. What does the church do? The church keeps you connected. The church is like iron sharpening iron. We step on each other's toes. We challenge each other. I give you messages. You worship. And you walk out of here hopefully being transformed a little, right? But glory to glory, he's changing me. That's what begins to happen in the house of God. That's why I'm so concerned with these churches that have shut down. I understand why. But my, 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 my concern is the consequences of shutting a church down means you no longer have this, which cannot be, cannot be substituted by Facebook. Cannot be done. And so I'm concerned about that. Got to find your group and stay connected. The point is there's growth. We're seeing growth in Jesus' life. Find your group. Find the right people. Verse 52 at the end of this, by the way, if you want to read it, confirms what I'm saying. What does it say? Jesus continued to increase in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. He was in a rapid growth process. Now, this is beautiful. So we see him at two years old. We see him at 12 years old. Now, lastly, turn to Matthew 4. This is the temptation. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit with his parents, with his group, into the wilderness. Absolutely not. What does it say? He went alone. Be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him. This is a point. 18 years after our interaction, the last interaction he had where he was left behind in Jerusalem, we find him at the age of 30. Jesus is led out into the wilderness and faced the devil alone. No parents, no friends, no church, just by himself. Now, this is important. I'm saying we, it's not that we don't need those things anymore, but what happens is you get to a point in your walk with God where you're entrusted to face battles alone. I've seen many people's demise in the Christian faith because they tried to step into this too soon. I've, have you ever wondered? I've wondered several times, and it, it's, it's an easy answer. But have you ever wondered why Jesus started his ministry at age 30? Because he needed to. Because he needed 30 years to get where he needed to be. We look at Jesus as some kind of supernatural creature that is so unlike us. No, he was a man just like us, it says. He was a man just like us. He had the spirit within him. He obviously, you know, cultivated this relationship with God, but he was flesh and blown. We know that because he died on a cross. He was crucified. We know he was just like us. And so just like us, we need to cultivate our lives and our relationships with God to the point where finally God can trust us to stand even sometimes alone. Come on, somebody. This is important because you don't want to get there too soon, and you also don't want to get there too late. Now, this is the benefit. Catch this. This is really cool. The first group struggles to 